Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14, in part 2 of a sermon series called, Press On, with this message from January 5th titled, Straining Forward. to say to each one of you this morning, Happy New Year, as we, on this first Sunday of January, and I'm not sure if you are aware or not, but the month of January is named for Giannis, one of the few Roman gods without a Greek counterpart. Giannis was depicted as having a double face. One face looked to the past for wisdom, and the other looked ahead to the future. Giannis was thought to influence beginnings and endings, and was often found at doorways and entrances. January is that time of year when many of us take inventory of the past, and we make corrective resolutions for the future. And since an honest, in-depth inventory of the past is sometimes painful, we tend to skip over the regrettable and embarrassing experiences we went through in the previous year, and dwell on the times and places that make us look and feel good. Oh, we might root around the, in, in the events of the past year and find a few not-so-bad things we thought, said, or did, and then we'll make a few superficial resolutions such as eating less candy, exercising more, being nice to animals and small children, and attending church more often. But in so doing, we deceive everybody, including ourselves. While the real resolutions that would lead us into significant new beginnings never cross our minds. January is an appropriate time for us to consider the implication and application of Paul's words found in Philippians chapter 3. And I want to read this morning verses 7 to 14. Paul, after giving to us a list of his credentials and his achievements, he goes on to share his passion and his life pursuit. He writes, in regards to his past accomplishments and achievements, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience a resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul's passionate pursuit was to know Christ in a deep, profound personal and practical way. His longing was to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. His intense desire was to progress towards spiritual maturity. His passion was a transformation of his character. 
that his beliefs, his attitudes, his conduct would be shaped into the likeness of his Savior. And like Paul, we too should be characterized by such a passion. We must understand God is not simply interested in getting us in the door, simply interested in getting us saved. Like Paul, we must desire our lives reflect the character and likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is Jesus' passion for us. We are in a short preaching series from the chapter 3 of Philippians, and I have entitled the series Press On. And although our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone, maturity and growth in the Christian life requires effort and discipline on our part. Like the Apostle Paul, we must be determined and intentional if we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus. It won't happen automatically. It won't happen by chance. Spiritual maturity will only happen when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The writers of Scripture liken Christian maturity to a race, and this race is not a 100-yard dash nor a walk in the park. Rather, it is a marathon, a long-distance race. And Paul in Philippians 3 gives us a needed strategy to run this race successfully. Last Sunday, we considered the first component of his strategy. Paul says that we are to leave the past behind. One of the greatest hindrances that keep a person from finishing strong in the Christian faith is their past. And Paul says, leave it behind. This does not mean that we are to deny our past, pretend our past never happened, forget what we learned in the past and in the past, push the past out of our minds or develop spiritual amnesia. Rather, we are not to allow the past to divert our focus from the race, from spiritual maturity. There are things from our past, if we are not careful, will take our focus off of the goal of being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. Things like past accomplishments, past sins, past failures, past regrets, past mistakes, and past pains. Paul's counsel to us is simply this. Do not allow your past events, experiences, and decisions divert your focus and attention away from the goal of growing in Christlikeness. Come to terms with your past, confess any sins of the past, learn from the past, but do not become chained to the past. By the grace of God, move beyond your past and put every ounce of energy into growing in Christlikeness. But there's a second component to, in this race towards spiritual maturity, and Paul expresses it in this way. To grow in Christ-likeness, we must strain forward to what lies ahead. What is your passion regarding your Christian life? What is your vision? What do you want to become? What do you want to become known for? What, how do you want your life to reflect the glory of Jesus? Paul says, keep that before you, what you want to become, what God has in store for you, and then strain forward. Commenting on Paul's words, John Wesley in his sermon, What is Man, made these comments. You were born for nothing else. You live for nothing else. Your life is continued to you upon earth for no other purpose than this, that you may know, love, and serve God on earth and enjoy him to all eternity. Consider, you were not created to please your senses, to gratify your imaginations, to gain money or the praise of men, to seek happiness in any created good, in anything under the sun. All this is walking in a vain shadow. It is leading a restless, miserable life in order to a miserable eternity. On the contrary, you were created for this and for no other purpose, by seeking and finding happiness in God on earth, to secure the glory of God in heaven.
Therefore, let your heart continually say, this one thing I do, having one thing in view, remembering why I was born and why I am continued in life, I press on to the mark. <coughs> Excuse me. So then the question that we need to ask this morning is, what is involved in straining forward to what lies ahead? I would first of all suggest that it involves keeping a single-minded focus. Paul says, this one thing I do. Note the fierce concentration and focus implicit in these words. And here is a secret that applies across the board. To excel in any area of life, a person must say, this one thing I do. Not these 20 things I do, not these 25 things I do, not these 50 things I do. A single-minded focus in any endeavor generally wins a great reward. A great artist must say, one thing I do. A gifted teacher must say, one thing I do. A championship athlete must say, one thing I do. A student who wants to graduate with honors must say, one thing I do. Shark Tank is a television show featuring entrepreneurs making business presentations to a panel of five investors or sharks who decide whether or not to invest in their company. And one piece of, of advice often given to these entrepreneurs by the sharks is to have a single-minded focus to their vision. They emphasize time and time again that success will only be achieved if all of their concentration is given to their business. And some entrepreneurs come into the shark tank and they have all of the great and grandiose ideas that they want to do with their business. And the sharks will bring them back and say, but you need to concentrate on this one thing in order to be successful. Greatness in any arena comes to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. In his case, it meant making decisions that would propel him toward Christ-likeness that would result in spiritual maturity. 100 years ago, Bill Borden, a young man from a wealthy family, entered Yale University. His family intended that after completing his degree, he would enter a suitable career in America. But God gripped his heart with the needs of China, and he volunteered to go to that country with the gospel, much to the dismay of his family and friends. He left America, but he never made it to China because he succumbed to a disease before reaching that country. After his death, a note was found among his personal items that summarized his life. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. A single-minded focus. Perhaps you have heard of Dr. David Livingstone, pioneer missionary, medical missionary to Africa. When he returned to Great Britain, he was asked, where do you want to go now? And his answer was immediate. I am ready to go anywhere, provided it be forward. Do you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus? Do you desire to become spiritually mature? Is Christ-likeness your goal? If so, keep your focus clear. Keep your goal in mind. So in light of that, complete the sentence. In order to stay single-minded, I will what? What are the things that you need to do or the thing that you need to do to stay single-minded? Will you need to remove some things from your schedule that are not essential? There may be things on your schedule that are not necessarily bad or wrong, but they keep you from the goal of knowing Christ personally, powerfully, and practically. Will you build into your schedule a time for solitude, for study, for prayer? Will you need to review on a regular basis the commitments you made? 
These things or other things may be necessary in order for you to have that single-minded focus. I would also suggest that in order to strain forward to what lies ahead, you and I must choose to persevere. Implicit in Paul's words is the idea of perseverance or what we might call stick to The writer of Hebrews made it very clear that endurance is vitally important as we run this race. He wrote, let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. Down through the ages, and it's no less true in our generation, success and greatness is often defined by the ability to persevere, to endure, and overcome obstacles. Last Sunday, I mentioned Abraham Lincoln, who endured one setback after another, yet he refused to quit and eventually became one of the greatest presidents of the United States. But there are other examples as well. I recently read that a memo came from MGM Studios shortly after Fred Astaire took his first screen test that read, can't act, slightly bald, can dance a little. Other great football coach Vince Lombardi, it was said early in his career, he possesses minimal football knowledge. The parents of Enrico Caruso, who is a great Italian opera singer, believe the teacher who said he has no voice at all, he just cannot sing. Walt Disney was once fired by a newspaper for lack of ideas. Thomas Edison's teachers gave up on him and gave his this evaluation. He is too stupid to accomplish anything. Henry Ford, before he succeeded, failed and went broke five times. Beethoven handled the violin awkwardly and his teacher called him a hopeless composer. And Albert Einstein performed so badly in high school courses, except mathematics, that his teachers encouraged his parents to pull him out of school. In this Christian race that you and I are running, God is more interested in how we finish than how we began. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche once said, the essential thing in heaven and earth is that there is a long obedience in the same direction. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there is a long obedience in the same direction. Everything in our culture revolts against such a statement because we want the quick, we want the easy, we want the convenient, we want the instant, the fast, and the efficient. And when things don't come our way quickly, speedily, instantly, easily, or conveniently, we tend to give up and give in. Commenting on this cultural phenomenon, Eugene Peterson says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world, but there is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of character and virtue. In Hebrews chapter 11, we have a list of individuals who endured and persevered in their walk with God. Their lives are marked by a long obedience in the same direction. Men and women like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David, just to name a few. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul gave this exhortation. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Another translation reads, be steadfast, immovable, no matter what the hardship. In other, words, in other words, no matter how long the storm lasts, no matter how dark and fearful the situation may be, and no matter what wave batters against your life, stay the course, remain in the race. And Paul didn't write these words from some ivory tower. It wasn't just a theoretical statement. He practiced what he preached. 
In 2 Corinthians, he testified, I've been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death time and time again. <coughs> Excuse me. Five times I was beaten with 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've had to constantly stay on the move because of being in danger in every city I went to. I've been deprived of sleep. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. But after listing all these things he went through, he testified, I never gave up. None of the hardships had the power to make Paul quit. None of his trials dissuaded him from pressing on. None of his disappointments quenched his passion for knowing and following Christ in a deep and personal way. There will be hard days. There will be valleys. There will be times when God seems distant and absent. And there will be circumstances that just don't seem to make any sense and that you and I just can't explain. But before those times come, you and I must make the decision to persevere, to endure, to press on. So in light of that, complete this sentence. I know God wants me to persevere in what? What is that that God would want you to persevere in in order to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow in dependence upon him, to grow in your trust of him? Does he want you to persevere in prayer for an unsafe family member, friend, neighbor, fellow student, co-worker? Does he want you to persevere in loving a person who betrayed you? Does he want you to persevere in seeking reconciliation in a broken and fractured relationship? Does he want you to persevere in the study of his word and prayer? Does he want you to persevere in a particular area of ministry? As you and I persevere in these areas of our lives, we'll go deep in our relationship with Jesus. Straining forward to what lies ahead includes keeping that single-minded focus, choosing to persevere, but also means maintaining a heavenly perspective. Going back to our text, Paul says, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Some have suggested that Paul may have had in mind the chariot races so popular in the Olympic Games during his time as he wrote these words. He could have been thinking of the chariot racer standing in that small two-wheeled cart with long leather reins in his hands, leaning forward to keep his balance. The analogy is clear. In this race, as we progress towards spiritual maturity, we are to face forward, anticipating what lies ahead, ever stretching, ever reaching, ever straining. Because the future holds out hope, we reach for it. And again, when the Bible talks about hope, it's not some kind of wishful thinking. It's that certainty that is grounded in the, in, in the confidence that we have in Christ, that he has made it possible for us to be with him forever. In Hebrews 12, we read these words in reference of Jesus. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterwards. The writer uses Jesus as an example of someone who kept an eternal perspective. He looked past the suffering, past the shame, past the cross to the joy that one day would be his when those he redeemed would be reunited with him and would be in his father's presence forever. The writer is suggesting to you and me that on the other side of the finish line is a loving heavenly father who will be smiling and welcoming us as we cross that finish line. 
You see, our temptation is to become fixated on the temporal, on the here and the now, to replace the eternal with the temporal, to seek the pleasures of this world instead of the, the joy of heaven. But you and I must be careful that we do not forfeit the riches of heaven for the wealth of this world. I'm reminded of the simple chorus that we used to sing years ago. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's what it means to have that heavenly focus, that heavenly perspective, to be looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we do, the things of this world will grow dim and we will grow deep in our relationship with Christ. So in light of that, I would have you complete this statement. I am able to endure the present because I know someday, and what would you say? Because I know someday I will be in the presence of my heavenly father, because I know someday I will receive an eternal reward, because I know I will be reunited with my loved ones, because I know that God will one day make all things new, because I know that I will be free from sin, suffering, and sorrow. What will motivate you to keep that heavenly perspective as you look to the promise of the future? There's a miracle recorded in all four Gospels. It's a story of Jesus feeding the multitude. In John's account, chapter 6, we read that Jesus took a boy's lunch of five barley loaves and two small fish, he blessed it, passed it out, and fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. All ate until they were completely full. The next day, the crowds tracked Jesus down, requesting another miracle. Jesus knew their hearts, and he said to them, the only reason you came looking for me is because I fed you yesterday. And he went on to tell them that life is much more than food and physical provisions, and then continued to teach them about life and what it would mean to follow him. When he was done, those gathered around him concluded, this is hard teaching. And then in verse 66 of John 6, we read some very tragic words. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. There were those who turned back in order to live for the here and the now. There are those who forfeited the future for the present. Jesus then looked at his 12 disciples and he asked them, are you guys going to leave me too? And listen to Peter's response. Where else would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. You see, there comes a point when everyone who confesses to be a follower of Jesus casts their lot. They make their choice. They step up and say, there is only one life to live, and I'm going to live my life for Christ alone. I'm not going to simply follow because he fed me and blessed me. I'm following because of who he said he is. Where else could I go? He alone has the words of life. And so as we have been talking about this race that we are in, beginning at the end of 2019 and continuing on in 2020, this two-part series, Press On, I want to ask you a very personal question. Are you in the race? Are you in the race? 
If you are not, there are only three possible reasons. One, you never started. The second is you stopped running or else you finished. And if you're still here, then you haven't finished. So we can rule that one out. And so if you're not in the race, well, that means that you either never started or you stopped running. If you never started, I want to invite you to begin the race today. Jesus died for your sins so that you would not have to die because of your sins. His forgiveness is immediate, it's free, and it's sweet. So will you trust Jesus today and begin the race with him? Begin 2020 in that new relationship with Christ and begin running the race today. If you stopped running, will you get back in the race? There may be some reasons why you quit running. Maybe you were hurt by someone who professed to be a believer. Maybe something happened within the church life that, that really turned you sour and turned you off. Maybe you went through a very difficult experience and you questioned God and, and wondered how God could even be real because of what you went through. By God's grace, you can re-enter the race. You are never disqualified. God is always ready to forgive you and receive you back. And I trust that if you have stopped running, that you will take the necessary steps to seek restoration and reconciliation with your heavenly father to your, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you are in the race, the beginning of a new year is a good time to renew one's commitment to Christ. And so therefore I ask those who are running, will you resolve to grow in your relationship with Jesus to grow spiritually? Will you resolve to know Christ more deeply, more passionately, more powerfully, more practically? Will you determine not to compromise, not to give up, not to sell out, not to turn back? Will you use every ounce of energy and effort to press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Found among the papers of a young Zimbabwe pastor after he was martyred for his Christian faith was this moving testimony. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, Monday talking, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift up by prayer, and labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission 
is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. And so I ask you, as I ask myself this morning, will we run the race with the same commitment, with the same devotion, and with the same dedication? George Whitfield said, press forward, do not stop, do not linger in your journey, but strive for the mark set before you. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Church or search on your favorite podcast app.